Happy holidays, happy new year. Welcome to episode 119 of the Jackson Hole Connection, the second to last episode of 2020. This episode's sponsor is Prue Real Estate. Should you have any questions about real estate in Jackson Hole, give Dan Bozoski or Greg Prue a call or visit Prue.com. That's P-R-U-G-H.com to search current listings. Hey there from Jackson Hole, I'm Stefan Abrams, the host and guide of this fabulous podcast. Each week, I love sitting down with someone with a connection to Jackson Hole who has a fascinating, interesting story to share that we can all learn a little bit of their secrets about life. So please sit back and enjoy this episode, episode 119. And today's guest is Jim Ligori, camp director of the Valley's historic Teton Valley Ranch Camp. Being a former camper himself, a child at heart, and a dedicated family man, Jim was born to be a camp director. Myself, being a former camper and camp counselor, I connected with Jim and the mission of Teton Valley Ranch Camp with a full heart. Each camp in the country holds a special place in the hearts of the past and current campers and all of the staff that makes it happen. During my interview with Jim, my memories of Henry S. Jacobs Camp in Utica, Mississippi, were clear and meaningful and felt alive. The story Jim shares about Teton Valley Ranch Camp in this valley is one I'm thrilled is being shared today. Jim will also provide a look into what camp life is like at Teton Valley Ranch Camp and why camp is so important for children of all ages. So enjoy the fun and interesting stories about Teton Valley Ranch Camp with Jim Ligori. Jim, welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. It's a great honor to have a longtime resident and local on on the podcast, somebody who we can call local, and love to hear some about who you are and what you do for this community. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, as you said, uh, my name is Jim Ligori. I'm a a first generation, I guess, Jackson local. Both my parents moved to Jackson in the 60s and 70s. Um, and I was, I guess, they're the product of that <laughs> marriage. I currently work for Teton Valley Ranch Camp as the camp director, uh, managing their summer facility and their summer program, as well as the, the organization, the foundation. Mm-hmm. So were you born here in Jackson? I was. I was born at St. John's Hospital, just on East Broadway, in okay. the early 80s. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And are you now married? Have kids? Yeah, right. I'm married of uh, 12 or 30. This will actually be 13 years this summer. Uh, we have three children, uh, Elsie, George, and Jamie, and the raging ages from eight to three. So it's, it's an exciting process. It keeps me on my toes, my wife as well. I bet it does. Yeah. And what brought your parents out here in the 60s and 70s? Uh, my father grew up in Nevada and then moved to the Salt Lake area and then started working for the Forest Service and got stationed uh, in West Yellowstone. And then after that career, he uh, fell into the hotel industry with a partner up there. That partner wanted to start a hotel in Jackson. It's got to be in the mid-60s sometime. Uh, so he moved to Jackson and started managing uh, a hotel for, for this individual in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, managed that hotel for many years. And then my mother came out to Jackson, as, as I'm told, to, to do some modeling for um, 
some Native American art. And they, they met in that realm. I think, um, I'm not sure if she was staying at the hotel as a guest or exactly how they met, but um, that's, that's when they met. And they met in the late seventies and were married uh, a year or two later. And uh, yeah, my mom grew up in Chicago and uh, still have family back there as well. Cool. And considering you were born here, you've been raised here. I've had several guests who have are about the same age as you. And every I, I like asking everybody, what is your perspective of growing up here in Jackson? I loved every minute of it. I, I guess it's it's been a great experience. You know, I remember when kind of the uh, the edge of town was right around like where McDonald's is now and <laughs> helicopters parking over where the bowling alley used to be that's you know picnic and and those areas now and some of the watching those uh helicopters take off some of the first kind of uh backcountry skiing events and things like that i grew up kind of in downtown jackson uh at mountain modern we lived at the motel that my dad managed for many years that was at mountain modern um so more or less downtown and then we moved to east jackson when i was eight and um that was just fantastic kind of being right at the mouth of cash creek and the elk refuge but still close enough to downtown i remember you know jumping on bikes with friends and riding downtown through the summer and up cash creek we'd go exploring and camping and have all of that in our backyard it was just so much fun so much fun i love it and and now you're at teton valley ranch camp did you have connections with uh, attending that camp as a youngster? I did. Actually, Teton Valley Ranch Camp's responsible for, I guess, the some of the beginnings of my camp career. I attended Teton Valley Ranch Camp as a, a yearling, which is our youngest uh, group, an 11-year-old. I had done some other stuff with scouting as well. You know, that's also an important part of this, but attended that as 11, and it's, it's a great experience. I love everything we do. Uh, it wasn't drastically different from what I had done growing up. You know, my father was always a big outdoorsman. We did the the horseback riding, the hunting, the fishing, the camping, the backpacking. We did all that. So Teton Valley Ranch Camp wasn't a hugely transformative to me because I kind of grew up in that. So a lot of my experiences in camping took me to places like the Florida and living on a sailboat for two months in the Florida Keys or the British Virgin Islands. Or I met my wife at a camp in North Carolina, which is a place that I'd never gone to before. I'd never been east of the Mississippi even. So it's just kind of like, this is my marketable skill. Let's see what I can do. And ended up in Western North Carolina and spent uh, 10 years working for a camp back there. You know, I grew up going to camp and my best friends in the world come from that camp. It's it's amazing. The community that you build, the friends that you build, kind of some of that uh, camaraderie through challenge or through struggle that um, Mm -hmm. can just be the friendships that you form are so lifelong and lasting. And we see that at Teton Valley Ranch Camp, but I've also experienced that in in my own life. Um, Some of the staff members that I worked with in North Carolina and some of the campers that I worked with in North Carolina are, are, you know, now my youngest son's godparents. So that's kind of fun to have some of that carry on. I love it. It, And it, and that goes for, for like my sister and my brother. And I was college roommates with somebody I went to camp with and my older brother, the same. And the funny thing is, is my older brother's college roommate, his younger brother was my college roommate and we all went to camp together. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you say that the, um, or they say that camp friends are, are so much different and, you know, the staff members I talked to and some of the campers I talked to is like, yeah, I've got my, my home friends and my camp friends and they're very different. And you might know your home friends for longer, but you know your camp friends better. And if that's just that kind of in-depth 30-day, 20-day, five-week experience living with those people versus the kind of ins and outs of the just the generic friendships. But it, it's true. Those camp friends are, are 
so much deeper and so much higher quality. They are. We had my camp that I grew up going to is called Henry S. Jacobs Camp. It's in Utica, Mississippi, a Jewish camp in Utica, Mississippi, where the cockroaches are prevalent and large. Yeah. And we had our 50th anniversary last year and we met up in, it was in New Orleans. And I saw some people I hadn't seen for decades. And the beautiful part about it is whether they were in my age group or just other people I knew in other age groups of the campus, you just picked up where you were. I mean, you had to reintroduce, but there was no bravado from anybody as far as what you do now or what do you, how you dress. It, it was just, you are who you are. Yeah. And, and, and that's who you were when you're a kid and it's t- completely ingrained in you who you are now. And it, it might be some of the like equalization aspect that comes with coming to camp. Like everybody's, you know, going to the dining hall, everyone's sleeping in the same bunks, everyone's eating the same food, everyone's going on the same backpacking trips. But yeah, you, I could pick up my phone right now and call a half a dozen people I haven't talked to in, you know, three or four years. Actually, I was texting one of them last night. And it was like, when was the last time we saw each other? Like physically saw each other. And it's like, it's been like eight or nine years at a wedding in Washington. It's like, there's no way it's been that long. It's just, mm-hmm. you can just pick up conversations like you were talking to him last week and you maybe haven't talked to him for years. Yep. The, the former ED of the camp I grew up with, his, uh, his son now has a podcast or had a podcast. I think he still does. And it talks, it's camp stories. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. There's so many good ones out there. I love hearing stories from other camps or even historic TBRC stories. And, you know, we have some board members that sit on our board that are former staff members and campers. And some of the stories they tell are just a hoot. I love them. Well, why don't you share one of those stories or two of those stories? Let's start off with when did TVRC start and how did it get started? And then offer one of those stories. I would love to hear it. Sure. TVRC was started in the 1939 by the Wilson family at the Kelly Highlands in Kelly, Wyoming. Some unique stories uh, talk about how that ranch came about from what I've heard. And these are stories that are passed to me. So I, I think they're true, but it's, it's hard to say, I suppose. <laughs> um, is that the Abercrombie family owned this, the ranch and um, Mr. Wilson approached them about selling the ranch. And uh, they weren't interested in selling it at that time. Or I suppose the husband wasn't interested. The wife sounded like she was interested. Uh, a couple of years went by and the husband passed away. And the wife called uh, Weenie Wilson and said, we're ready to sell the ranch. Come get it. So that's kind of how it started. Um, and that's just a fantastic piece of property that um, up there and ran there for, for many years. Um, of course, there's still uh, Wilson descendants in the valley. And we still keep in touch with those folks as well and love the, the history there. And several years ago, the, the ranch moved where the camp is actually operational. And yeah, correct. So what we, was that story? Yeah, we also transitioned from a, a for-profit entity to a non-profit entity in that time. The Wilsons maintained ownership of that ranch through at least the late 90s, if not even the early 2000s, and offered mm-hmm. us, the organization the opportunity to buy that. That um, was not something the organization was able to do at that time. They started a non-profit to try and raise the funds to do that. I'm not exactly sure on the history of how it didn't happen. Long story short, they weren't able to purchase that property. Uh, so they continued fundraising and found this ranch outside of Dubois, Wyoming, and purchased that in 2003, I believe. And then uh, that was just a raw, basic piece of property, 2,300 acres of uh, pine trees and, and willows and sagebrush. And they um, invested a bunch of money there. Uh, bringing in power, putting in the road, building all the facilities. There's essentially nothing there. It's a clean slate. So 
um, you know, some of my predecessors did a fantastic job kind of bringing that to life and realizing that mission and vision. And beautiful story. And, and several years ago, you guys had a big scare with some of the natural things that happened in the summer. Yeah, the Lava Mountain Fire in 2016 uh, burned right up to our property. We actually had wildland fire uh, for wildland forest fire firefighters, excuse me, stationed on our property, ready to combat the fire. And they're the reason that the fire didn't burn down our facility. It burned right up to it. And um, I could show you trees that still are are uh, stained with retardant from the the airdrops. Um, but yeah, it was a scary time. We actually had to evacuate over a hundred girl campers and probably close to 80 staff members from our facility. Um, and they had just started their girl season program and we had to send them all home. And it was a tough, a tough year for a lot of those, those kids. So you said that they had started their, their season, their camping mm -hmm. session to get an idea of the structure of Teton Valley ranch camp. Do boys attend at a different time than girls do? Correct. Yeah. We have okay. a boy season. That's uh, the first season that's kind of mid-June through mid-July. And then we take a two or three day break and kind of give some, the staff some time off and reset. And then we welcome our girls kind of mid-July and they run through mid-August. So this fire, Lava Mountain fire actually started during boy season, um, mm -hmm. but smoldered and kind of creeped and ebbed and flowed for almost two weeks before it really kind of blew up into a bigger fire. And by that time, the boys had come and gone and then the girls were in camp and they had only been in camp for like four or five days before we had to evacuate them. Scary, man. And you guys pulled it off, which made it look like to the community with without interruptions, without any issues. So congratulations. Uh, thank you. I I take say take that congratulations knowing that I, I wasn't involved with that. I, I hadn't started working here yet. So a lot of that was uh, my predecessor and other folks at the ranch. So I, I directly was involved with that, but I was definitely watching along with the community on the outside. But they had a fantastic um, plan. Uh, they had some great uh, help with the Forest Service and uh, some of those relationships, which we still maintain. So, yeah. That, that's important. I'd love to hear from you about some stories that you've heard from campers or the campers' families of how attending your camp, it changed their life. Sure. A lot of it, I think, has to do with just some of the basics of like building self-confidence. I mean, that's the kind of the, the groundwork that we lay even on our staff training. There was a pack trip that went out many years ago that somehow got off course and they weren't on the right trail to end up at their base camp. Uh, and they, they got off course and ended up sleeping, spending the night away from their camp, kind of on the ground with limited supplies because the, the pack string with all the gear had gone the right way and the, the group with all the riders had gone the wrong way. Mm. So they ended up sleeping on horse blankets, you know, huddled around a fire all night. And um, you think something like that would just kind of ruin someone's experience. But when those kids came back to camp, that was their highlight. There's like, we spent the night in the woods, like real mountain men, and it was cold and it wasn't very much fun, but we did it and we're stronger because of it. And we want to go do it again. <laughs> Let's go get lost again. <laughs> yeah. Some of those, um, some of those aspects are, are, are what really makes it unique. I think those, those challenging moments where people kind of have to rely on themselves and dig down to their grit and find some of that, that will to keep pressing on. I mean, that's, that's how I think, you know, the West was discovered. When you look at people like the, the fur trappers and the mountain men and some of those people that originated in some of this country, the Western expansion, even the, the Native Americans and how, how they lived here, they had to have that self-determination and that, that ability to keep going. 
you know, similar stories are um, kids that are apprehensive about going on some of these trips, you know, kids from larger metropolitan areas that maybe like, I don't like hiking. I've done it before. It's not my favorite thing. I don't really want to go. Even some of the like pretending to be sick to not go on the trips. I've seen kids like pretend throw up to say, see, I'm sick. I should go on this trip. And you just kind of encourage them to continue going on the trip and, and uh, go through the motion. And then a lot of times those kids come back and we're like, thank you for pushing me. Like that was the experience that I needed. And that was awesome. And I didn't feel any better than when I was sitting on top of static, watching the sunrise or Jackson peak or some of those other mountains that we climb. So those moments, I think are the, the eye-opening kind of revelations for those kids where they can do hard things. They can do things that are challenging and it, it takes some determination and it takes some, some willpower and it takes some effort, but one step at a time. That's what it is. It's one step at a time. And it doesn't matter how long it takes us. We're going we're gonna to try our best to do it. And it's, it's all about kind of helping foster those relationships and um, working together as a group. If there's a camper in the group that's struggling, that's um, has too much weight or doesn't have the right gear, you know, can they, the, the rest of the group adjust to help that one person to make them all better. And those are the kinds of things we think about, especially in staff training and kind of hammer that home in our staff so they can take that understanding and bring it to those kids. Because I kind of look at it as the, the staff members or the counselors for those kids and us as a leadership team, we're the counselors for those staff members. And I see just as much growth in staff as I do in campers. Some even, some more profound, I think they can make some bigger kind of mental jumps into some of that. And that's, that's what it was for me. That's um, how I remember getting started in this. I think I kind of alluded to that. You know, I remember sitting around uh, a table planning a canoe trip when I was a camper and um, thinking like, this is going to be tough and this is going to be challenging, but I'm super excited about this. And then out on the water, you know, doing some of those canoe trips, remembering how much fun I was having, that this was a, a job for that staff member. And how could I end up doing that? How could I end up getting paid to take folks outside and climb mountains and ride horses and that is a quite special experience to be in, in this area of the country, you know, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, which is so unique yeah. and to be a camper, to be a, and then to be a, a counselor as well. What is your rate of return for your campers from the first time that they go, they attend to when they come back again? It's a, it's a progressive program that builds on itself. Oh, so interesting. Um, we, we encourage folks to start young and continue to maintain through the program. So we get some attrition towards the top end because not everyone can continue that. But I'd say, you know, close to 70 to 80 percent of our kids have been to TBRC before and come back. So we're, I'm, yeah. I'm interested to know what makes it a progressive program. And is that um, how does that compare to other camps? One of the unique things that we do that uh, a lot of other camps don't do, um, and it's because the logistics of it are so tough, but the, the intuition is so spot on. We talked about that community building earlier. Um, we try and keep kids static in their age groups. So they move through our program with the same group of kids and even to the point of keeping the staff members with those groups of kids. Hmm. So in ideal situation, a camper that comes to TBRC could have the same uh, eight or 10 kids with them throughout their whole year, as well as some of those staff members. Of course, it doesn't always work. And we end up kind of mushing groups together sometimes, but you get a sense that you really, really get to know these people through the end of it. And I've had um, uh, board members tell me, former campers tell me that, you know, counselors still stay in touch with their kids, you know, 20, 30 years later. It's like, we were the TB group, the trailblazer group, you know, in the nineties. And we still, still talk to those people. And 
that's that's one of the things we do that's that's very different. It's very, I think, complex from the administration side. It takes a lot of work on our end to make that happen. Um, and it's not always possible to do, but we, we try our best to honor that tradition. And that's something that's been going on for quite a while. That's cool. I mean, yeah, I can s- certainly see from uh, the logistics and administration of organizi- organizing how challenging that can be. Yeah. Good for you guys. Yeah. It's, it's, Has it always been that way? I don't know that it's always been that way since the 30s, but I, I think it's been that way since at least like the 60s. Okay, cool. It's also a double-edged sword though, because I think if you get two or three people that don't come back, the rest of that group kind of can sometimes crumble away too. Mm. So yeah. it's tricky for that to happen. Now, you said that the youngest age group is 11. What is the oldest age you go, group? You're up to 16, 17, somewhere in there. We're, we're looking at a CIT program, counselor and training program. We haven't had that for a number of years, but we'd like to kind of try and bridge that gap between the, the oldest group leaving and then returning for staff member a couple of years later. So some more experience opportunity in there. But I think it's also very important that kids go away and try something else and do something different. And that might either bring them back to TVRC because of the, the love that they, they have for that, or it might set them on a, a better, more uh, suited path for themselves. So I think um, spending all your time at TVRC is, is not necessarily a wise idea either, but you've got to go out and branch out and try something new, see different parts of the world, meet different people. Yeah. I'm interested to learn more about what a program for a 16-year-old looks like compared to an 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break from get a word from one of our sponsors, and then we'll be right back. When you're thinking about making a real estate decision, it's important to go with someone you can trust. Recently, I trusted Dan Vazoski at Prue Real Estate to personally handle a real estate transaction. The service and attention I received demonstrated I am important. Greg Prue started Prue Real Estate in 2002 with you, the customer, in mind. Give Greg or Dan a call at 307-733-9888 or visit pru.com, P-R-U-G-H.com to connect today. Let them know you heard about them from me, Stefan, the podcast guy. Welcome back, Jim. We were just talking about your camp and how it's unique and you really um, offer a fun experience in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, but you do some unique actions there. Mm-hmm. You take some unique steps to create a, a, an amazing experience for these campers and the staff. What does it look like for an 11-year-old versus a 16-year-old to attend Teton Valley Ranch Camp? Yeah, the, the biggest difference is going to be those, those trips. Uh, the backpacking trips that we do. You know, when an 11-year-old comes to us, they may have very little to no backpacking experience. So a lot of those trips are, are very structured, very pre-planned. Um, the staff member are doing a lot of those, those actions of helping those kids pack their backpacks, uh, showing them the route, doing some of the logistical work behind that, even to the point of like helping them set up tents, helping them build fires, helping them cook meals. So very kind of heavy-handed leadership on those younger kids. Those younger trips are also very age appropriate. You know, these are the out and back kind of flat trails that we love in Grand Teton National Park, you know, Bear Paw Bay, things like that. Um, very easy kind of non-consequential introductory backpacking trips. By the time they get up to those senior trips, those kids are really taking a, a lead on some of that and making some of those decisions with menu planning, with route planning, with uh, on the trail kind of logistics. We go to a, 
a structure that's similar in outdoor organizations um, called the leader of the day, where we'll, we'll send one of those kids, set them up as the leader of the day. And essentially they're in charge of that day. They help with the, the navigation. They help with the routing. They help with, um, you know, when it's break time, when it's meal time, where we're going to camp. And uh, it's great to like watch some of this on the back end. You know, some of our staff members carry uh, GPSs and we load some of that data backwards. And you can see like, what happened here on day three? Like you guys are going in the total wrong direction. And they're like, oh yeah, that's when so-and-so is the leader of the day. And they had taken us down a wrong trail. And as a leader, we knew that, but we're just confident letting them take some of those experiences and using that as a teachable moment, as long as we can keep them safe. And we're not going to, you know, destroy morale too much by saying, hey, we're now six miles off where we're supposed to be, because that's not helpful either. But being able to, to really put some of that responsibility on those kids, um, that's, that's the biggest difference. And of course, they're much more consequential trips. These are trips in you know, the Tetons, Moose Basin, backpacking trips in the winds. Um, so much different kind of flavor and style of trip as well. More mileage, more elevation, more peaks, more summits. That's cool. Those are places I've never, some of those places I've never been, which I'd like to get out there and see some of the spots. I mean, that's just one of the, the coolest things about where we live. There's so much opportunity here. I mean, a guy could spend a lifetime in the winds exploring some of those places. Yeah, I sure can for sure. I, I like what you just said. It's um, using the trips as teachable moments. And could you speak a little bit more about a teachable moment, what that looks like? Um, and a little bit more depth. I think you just touched on it a little bit. Sure. I think those are, are moments when um, a staff member or even other campers can can take a, an action of something that's happened and kind of sit down and unpack it with the group and, and work through some of those things and, and look at cause and effect or, or consequence to some of those actions. You know, I think about doing it as, as parents all the time. I mean, the classic example I think about with my, my four-year-old is are you choosing to go outside without a hat on? Because that's a choice you can make. I think you should take a hat, but if you don't want a hat, you're going to leave that hat on the bench. That's okay. And then in five minutes when they're cold, it's like, wouldn't it be nice to have a hat right now? <laughs> Maybe we should go back and get that hat. So I think those are kind of some of those, those teachable moments and kind of like on a rudimentary level on how that happens. Using it in the backcountry, I think, takes a little bit more finesse, obviously. You're very focused on risk management and, and safety, but we... You know, there's one trip in the Grovant that we do up to Darwin Peak in that area. And uh, sometimes we can't cross the Grovant River because it's just springtime runoff raging and, you know, sitting down on the side of that bank with that group of kids and saying, what do you guys think? Is it safe to do this? What happens if we do this and we all get wet? Or what happens if we do this and we lose a backpack full of food? And kind of thinking through some of those scenarios of um, what could happen and how do you mitigate those? Is it worth taking that risk? Is it worth, you know, trying to do this just to cross this river to camp here and maybe climb that peak? Or we could adjust the trip and go over here and do this instead. Like what, what works best? I think having those kids think about it that, at that level, especially when it impacts them and it involves them is important. Um, it's, it's helpful. I think it builds good kind of decision-making not only in the backcountry, but in life too. I mean, ultimately, you know, we talk about it on his leadership teams, like, are these the kind of moments where we're empowering kids to take um, steps about thinking, should I get in that car with that person that I've seen who's been drinking at that party? Is that something I should do? And kind of unpacking some of that and going through that in their mind. And hopefully we're empowering them to say, you know, maybe that's not the best decision. Maybe I should choose another path. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm really speechless because um, how do we get more kids involved in programs like yours? Because 
it is limited. Do you, I, I take it you sell out every year. We, we are close. We don't necessarily sell out completely, but um, again, the way we're structured is we have different age groups um, and those definitely have capacities. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we might fill two or three of those age groups, but not necessarily all of them, but that doesn't mean I have space for everybody. It has to be like the right camper, gender and age to fit in some of those pieces. I think camps are important. I, I'd love for everyone to come to TVRC, but I think there's a lot of great camps out there, just like how I grew up here and I've done some of those hiking and horseback uh, adventures. And I went off and like I said, I spent two weeks on a sailboat in Florida. That's what put me out of my element enough to make some of those changes impactful or some of those growth opportunities impactful. So I would say consider summer camps and to any parent out there. I think it's a great opportunity for for kids to gain some independence, to to build some self-confidence to um, fall into a, a group. And then of course, as we touched on, you know, make some of those lifelong friendships. There's a, a host of awesome camps out there all over the country that specialize in everything from, of course, we know space camp, there's uh, canoe camps that speak only French, there's uh, sports camps, there's of course, outdoor camps, there's riding camps. Uh, anything that your child is interested in, you could probably find a camp for it. And is there a universal location of information for these camps or maybe a few different locations? Sure. The, the, the best one is probably the American Camp Association. Visiting that website, uh, they're kind of the clearinghouse for associated uh, camps or accredited camps. They're a, a nonprofit organization that accredits summer programs. They do both residential and day programs. Uh, they have a, a wealth of information on their website. Uh, and then more in the, the West Coast region or the Rocky Mountain region is uh, WAKE, the Western Association of Independent Camps. They also um, have a, a great showing of camps, um, kind of in more in our area, a lot, uh, California, Washington, Oregon, uh, a couple in Wyoming, a um, couple in Arizona, a bunch in Colorado. So another good place to look for camps. It's kind of neat when you sit down and think about it, there's little pockets of camps kind of scattered throughout the country, like, um, Western North Carolina, where I went to camp, met my wife is a, is a pocket. You know, the New England, of course, is a, a pocket. Uh, I'm, Mississippi might be a pocket of camps. You never know. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many. The climate <laughs> is kind of tough there in Mississippi for, for summer camps. I mean, sure. we didn't have air conditioning yeah. in those cabins growing up. I think they now have air conditioning. The big thing is like trying to get to be in front of a fan and Oh yeah. You would, you'd take a shower and walk out, dry off. It's like walk outside. It's like, I thought I just took a shower. Yeah. Your clothes would mold. <laughs> Wyoming boy in Western North Carolina. I remember that. I was like, this towel's not dry. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah, it is. So I remember just sitting in that cabin, just sweating. Yes. Lots of sweat. Yep. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the resources that you provide are awesome. I had no idea about those associations to to research and having two boys myself and for my wife didn't grow up and going to camp and neither did her siblings they came out here uh they had the um very they were very fortunate and blessed to have a place to come out here a cabin no running water no electricity so it was like going in some ways to a camp sure. but um being around the other kids that is um you can't replace that and like you said it it breeds that independence Mm-hmm. and the relationships that it builds oh my gosh that can't be replicated not at all and no. uh, love for our area it's it's amazing to me how many people I, I meet out out in the community that 
have some tie back to TVRC. And you know, prior to my experience, it could be historic, um, could be just a, a friend of a friend went there and that's how I learned about Jackson Hole. But um, a lot of people you meet were former campers and staff members that live here in our community now and are parts of us. Yeah, I've come across a lot of people who have um, had some sort of connection to TVRC and uh, like Bubba Albright, I believe he was a counselor. He was, yeah. At TVRC. Yeah. I don't know if he was a camper, but I know he was a counselor. Uh, yeah. And uh, his, his family has, has ties uh, as well. He's got cousins that uh, have been campers and staff members as well. So it's kind of that generational piece that kind of continues to grow. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's you build that family, family of campers and the, the camp family. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. One other final question for you. Well, it might not be a final question knowing me. <laughs> <laughs> Being over in Du Bois and close to a lot of, and being in this area as well, having a lot of Native American uh, culture and history, do the campers have some sort of exposure to the impact that Native Americans had on this area? Not as much as I would like. I think we talk about it briefly uh, on some of the trips in Grand Teton specifically. There's some overlay there. Mm -hmm. Uh, we visit some of the historic sites uh, in, in Dubois. There's a, a, some collection of petroglyphs that are pretty easy to ex, um, access. We'll go there and talk about it a little bit. We don't have a huge overlay with that. I think some of that is uh, our pro programs followed a historic pattern that um, kind of repeats itself. So it's, it's breaking in a kind of a new piece of that program and finding a home where it's impactful and makes sense. I think that's important. I don't want to do something that doesn't have value. That makes sense. Um, but it's a, it's part of the history and legacy of where we are that I, it's very important, I think, to, to tie in and tie back to that. So we're, we're working on trying to expand that a little bit, but I don't have a, a clear answer yet on how we do that. Fabulous. Fabulous. And where do you see Teton Valley Ranch Camp, say, in the next 25 years? Uh, I hope we're very much kind of like we are today. I think um, the program we offer is, is unique enough and special enough that it's, uh, it's, it's what makes us kind of keep going and keep humming. I don't see any drastic changes for us. We might, uh, you know, tweak and refine our trips a little bit, but that's, that's the heart and soul of what we are. We're not, uh, you know, I don't see us making any major shifts or major changes. Mm -hmm. I, I would think what, what's the kids reactions when they hear we're going to go in the back country and, or they probably know this in advance and you're not going to have access to your devices. Well, we're totally technology free. So we take those cell phones even before we talk about backcountry trips. Yes. Kids that uh, fly into camp, um, you know, we'll say, okay, turn on your phone, call your parent, tell them you're here and then put it in this bag and we're going to put your name on it. And we're going to lock it up for 30 days and you won't see it. So totally technology free. It's fun to, you know, kids try and sneak phones in every now and then. And you're like, come on, you're turning in an iPhone three. Like nobody has an iPhone three. Where's your phone? <laughs> <laughs> no one has a, an old flip phone anymore. Like where, where's your device? And, right. <laughs> they're pretty good about holding each other accountable too. They'll, they'll definitely come and say, Hey, I think so-and-so might have a phone. You know, there's no cell service or limited Wi-Fi up there anyway. So I don't know what they're doing. They're yeah. Playing a game by themselves. Oh it's, man. It's, I bet they feel much better once they realize how 
it impacts them and helps them develop as people to be disconnected. There's, there's so many studies coming out that, that speak to that. And they definitely do. They definitely say that, you know, I'm glad that I didn't have my phone. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's nice to be able to have a relationship and to talk with someone. And um, a lot of them, you know, they, when you give it back, they're like, huh, I didn't even miss it after the first couple of days. I kind of almost forgot about it. It's like, yeah, isn't that cool? And that is cool. It's tough for me, I think, as a, you know, Gen, Gen Xer that, um, you know, the kind of the last generation that didn't grow up with a cell phone, hmm. didn't, didn't have one for many years, even into college. I was like, had one that I lived that my parents made me take with me because of, you know, driving back and forth to school that I just kind of kept in the truck. And more often when I needed it, it was dead. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever had my own cell phone until about 2002, 2003. No, no I just didn't have one. Yeah. Didn't tell me for it. Simpler times, I guess. But yeah, there's nice. Just leave a message. I'll call you back. Leave That's, a message at the beep. <laughs> it's 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 nice to even go up there there now and just kind of know that the cell phones doesn't work and I'm just, I'm just gonna leave it in the truck. Don't need it. Cool, Jim. What are some inspiring final words that you would like to share with everybody listening today? Uh, that's a tough question. There's there's so many things. I think um you know the. I love, I love the community we live in. Uh, I love um, the community where we are. I, I, I love the people here. I know we've got our challenges kind of as a, a group, but um, I'm hopeful we can work through some of those and reach across the aisle and, and work through the, some of those problems, be it you know housing, be it parking on Teton Pass for skiing, be it uh, so many other different options. That It's an interesting community we live in. I hope we can figure it out and, and continue to make it a special place for generations of, of children and, and people to come. Terrific. And if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, or- probably just shoot me an email at, um, at our, my email address. Yeah. And that is? Oh yeah. That's jlagori at tvrcamp.org. Okay. And what's the website for the camp? It's tvrcamp.org. So okay. just I like- love it. Eton Valley Ranch Camp. Yeah. Folks, get out there and go camping or send and send your kids to camp. I'm sure there's scholarships all around to yes. send your children to camp if you need help sending your kids to camp. We, we have a pool of money specifically for local mm-hmm. kids. So we'd, we'd love to see some more local kids come to TBRC. I love it. Jim, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show today. But more importantly, thank you for taking the time to be involved in a camp. Uh, you are making changes to people's lives and wonderful, positive changes. I so appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I love every minute of it. I'm excited to, excited to share that with other staff members. And of course, my wife that works for us also. We all have a small part in that. Family affair. I love it. Raising your kids out there in the summer, my guest. Turn them loose. That's right. <laughs> I love it. All right, Jim, go have a great day, sir. Happy holidays to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. To learn more about Jim and Teton Valley Ranch Camp, TVRC, visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com, episode 119. Happy holidays to everyone. Please call someone today you have not connected with in some time and send them happy, happy thoughts. We all need each other during this holiday season. Spread love and this podcast. Many thanks to everyone who helps keep this podcast going. My editor and marketing director, Michael Morey, music director, Luke Taylor, my wife, Laura, 
my boys, Lewis and William, and all of you fabulous listeners, Mike Jorgensen, Jim O'Jay, Richard Levy, Joshua Abrams, everybody else who listens frequently. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of The Jackson Hole Connection.